0: April 2nd, 2015 was Monday Thursday. It was the Thursday of Holy Week, the Thursday before Easter Sunday. And on this particular Thursday, uh, my family, my siblings and I, were going to our mom's house to celebrate the Easter weekend. My brother Luke, who's pictured to your right, wearing the red and gray, was on his way there. My brother Jake in his blue and pinstripes was there. And my wife, Emily, and I were headed there, um, but our sister wasn't in the, in the seafoam in the middle. She was visiting friends out of state that weekend. And because Emily had to work late that Thursday night, uh, and Luke played college baseball, uh, the two of them weren't quite getting to my mom's the same time my brother and I were. Uh, but because Jake and I got there first, we wasted no time getting comfy, back at home, just hanging out on mom's couch, catching up with her, talking with her, hanging out. And then my mom got a phone call. And that's not particularly unusual because my mom was still technically working from home on that Thursday afternoon. But there's something different about this phone call because as my brother and I watched my mom, her entire demeanor changed. Immediately, she grabbed a, a piece of paper and a pen and began to write furiously, taking notes. She got off the phone. My mom shared with Jake and I that the person with whom she was talking to was a social worker at a hospital who let her know that due to a sports related injury, our brother Luke was just admitted to the hospital. She couldn't say anything more than that, but she said to hang out by our phones because momentarily a doctor would be calling. So of course, what did we do? The three of us sat in my mother's living room speculating about what injury could have taken Luke to the hospital, and after what seemed like an eternity, my mom's phone rang again. This time it was the doctor. In fact, it was the head doctor of the neurosurgeon team at the Mayo Health Clinic in Mankato, Minnesota, who was giving a very short and a very serious message to my mom. He encouraged our entire family to make the trip to the hospital as soon as possible as he and his team were preparing uh, to perform emergency brain surgery on my brother as a matter of life and death. See, what we would learn later is that my brother, Luke, who played center field for his college baseball team, charged hard at a shallow hit uh, fly ball. And as he ran towards it, and ran towards it rather quickly, he dove to try to catch the ball, and at the same time, the right fielder who was coming in to try to make the catch slid down on his knees to try to get out of Luke's way. And by complete accident, the right fielder's knee cont- connected just above the left ear on my brother's head. The result was a skull fracture that started just above the bridge of his nose, traveled down the left side of his skull to the base of his skull. And just before, and just above the ear, excuse me, where the knee connected, the skull was hit so hard, in fact, that it indented. What the doctor shared with us was that because of the indentation of the skull and the fracture, the brain was being pressed so hard it was bleeding. And in a chance to save Luke's life, what they would have to do is remove approximately a fist of Luke's skull. I'll never forget hearing my mom relay that news to us. I'll never forget the experience of sitting in silence in my mother's living room for just a moment before my family and I joined together and prayed, grabbed our bags, and hopped in the car. I could tell you with vivid detail all about those early moments of that experience in our life, but for the sake of our gathering here this morning, can I share with you just one thing that I will never forget about the trip from where we were to where Luke was, that we traveled not knowing, seeing if we would see our brother alive on the other side. I can share with you, there has never been an occasion in my life where I have prayed a more focused, a more intense prayer for such a duration of time. For the four hours that it took our family to drive from Merrill, Wisconsin to Mankato, Minnesota, I prayed the same prayer over and over and over again in about a thousand different ways. Dear God, please help my brother Luke. I still remember sitting shotgun as my mom drove to the hospital and I rode with her. We spoke only occasionally. And for the most time, we sat there and thought, and in prayer about what was going on in our life. There was one thing, however, that interrupted the silence. It was, it was our phones that kept going off. Because as we drove there, we kept getting a great many text messages from friends Friends from grade school, friends from high school, friends from college, friends that I was super close with, and friends that I had not talked to in a long time, all texting us, telling us that their thoughts and their prayers were with us in regards to Luke, that they were praying the same prayer we were. You see, what I should probably mention is this, is that the way church, this church, is a part of a denomination, a church body called the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod that has 1,400 churches scattered across America. In addition to that, there's 400 preschools that are a part of this church body, 350 schools that are a part of this church body, 28 high schools, and one college that is part of this church body. And all the people that teach in those schools, all the people that preach in those churches, and all the people on this picture in this screen behind me attended that same college. And so what happened is before the game got done, before the team bus got back to the college, all my brother's teammates, all of his friends had texted and called their friends. And they had texted and called their pastors and they, and the people in their life. The college had posted on social media a request for prayers for Luke. And on the most holy Thursday in all of Christendom, as thousands of Christians were doing what Christians do on Monday, Thursday, go to the house of their God, thousands and thousands of prayers from Tennessee and Florida to Texas and Colorado and California and Connecticut were being thrown up to the throne room of God on behalf of Luke. We arrived late Thursday night to the hospital and got the news that the surgery was complete, that Luke was recovering in a medically induced coma. On Good Friday, Luke was still recovering, unresponsive, and our family went to church and prayed more. We got news that even more churches were praying for Luke on Good Friday. Even more Christians were lifting up that same prayer. And on Saturday, we waited and we prayed some more. And that afternoon, just hours before my family went to celebrate Easter and our Savior's open tomb, my brother Luke opened his eyes. And though he couldn't move the right side of his face, his right arm or his right leg or talk, we got to see our brother Luke's eyes. And a day after Easter, our brother Luke sat up for the first time and took this picture with our family. A week after this picture was taken, Luke was able to walk again for the first time. A month after this picture was taken, he regained his full speech again. And a month after that, he was back in school again. And much to the dismay of my parents, but with the full backing and clearing of an entire medical team, Well, just under a year after that, Luke was back playing college-level sports yet again. (laughs) There is so much that I could tell you about that experience in Luke's life. There's so much that I could tell you about that experience in my family's life. There is so much that I could tell you about how we got to see God's hand at work in our lives through the blessings of the medical teams that were on staff for both of the teams. There's so much that I could tell you about how God used the doctors, how God used our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ to lift us up, to bring prayers before God's throne. But for the sake of our time this morning, I want to pose a question a question to all of you about how prayer works. Because thousands of prayers were offered by Luke's friends and family, by his teammates and schoolmates, and by other brothers and sisters in Christ on his behalf. The question I want to ask is this. Was it the prayers that moved God to heal Luke, or Was it God's will from all time in history to see Luke through this ordeal, to heal Luke, and in a sense, the prayers weren't entirely necessary? Which one is it? As we step back and we look at the Lord's Prayer and we look specifically today at this petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it might be helpful to think about this question. Because this question about whether or not God healed Luke because of the prayers, or God healed Luke because that was just his will from all times, actually raises even more questions about prayer and about God's will. Questions like this Do our prayers have an effect on God's will and how he carries it out in our lives? And if so, How is it that mere mortals can step up before the immortal God and actually ask him to do this or that? And if our prayers do not have the effect on God's will, why does God ask us to pray in the first place? That also brings up another question. If our prayers have an effect on how God carries out his will in our life, why, when I pray according to God's will, is there times in my life where God does not exercise his authority? And ultimately, it leads us to ask, what is God's will? And That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be answering those four questions in reverse order, starting with what is God's will? And to do that, we are going to read John chapter 6, where Jesus is going to be using a word picture. He's going to be a word picture, using a word picture to tell us something about him. He is the bread of life. He is everything we need for this life and eternal life. The interesting thing about this section of God's gospel that we're going to read is that it follows just verses after Jesus fed 5,000 people with bread. And now they're just looking for a bread king. And he tells them, I'm way more than that. In addition to just telling them that, he also tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is. This is John chapter six. Let's read beginning at verse 25. This is on page six of your worship guide if you're following along. When they found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils But for food that endures until eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, "Uh, What must we do to do the good works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they answered, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. This is the gospel of our Lord. The first question is this, what is the will of God? What is it that God is about? What is it that his will is about? It could not get more crystal clear than this. If you ever wonder the answer to that question, open up your Bible to John chapter six, verse 40, and read it with me. My father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day you're filling in the blanks, the first thing that God wants us to know about his will is this, is that it is God's will to give eternal life to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. A person's legal will, a person's will that they put together legally in the United States is the most binding, the most authoritative documentation that one can have for what their will, what their wishes are. Do you know why that is? Do you know why it is that a will trumps all other documentation put together in someone's life about what they want to be done? It's because a will in the United States that is done legally is a one-sided contract signed by the person who is stating their will, and it is done, and here's the important part, it is done without the influence of anyone or anything else. That is like God's will for you. Under the influence of no one but his amazing grace, not under the influence of you, who you are, or what you've done, our God signed his will, his legally binding one-sided contract to you, and he signed it with the blood of the lamb, and in it he said, all those who look to me, all those who believe in my son will have eternal life. All those who are my daughters, all those who are my sons, will have in me eternal life, forgiveness, and salvation. For all of you who believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I will give you an inheritance of a forever mansion in heaven with me. That is God's will. And it is stated over and over and over again as clearly as possible throughout Scripture. 1 Timothy tells us this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is patient and he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Matthew 18, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones given to him perish. This is God's will. Over and over again, it is stated that he wants everyone to have eternal life, and everyone who believes in his son will have it. But God's word tells us more about his will. If you look at 2 Thessalonians as well as so many other places, we read that it is God's will that you be sanctified. That you live a holy life. That you do things that God says. That you follow the commandments. That motivated by the gospel, you live for him. And so this is the second thing that we learn about God's will, is that God's will is revealed in his word that is what we learn. And in fact, this is one of our big ideas for the day. God's word is revealed in his word. And if you want to know what God's will is for your eternal life, if you want to know what God's will is for your life here on earth, what is my purpose? How do I live? How do I please God? Marry the scriptures. Tie yourself to the scriptures. Have a relationship with with the scriptures, and you will know the mind of God. You will know the will of God. But some of you know the scriptures. So you're looking at me and you're saying, all right, what about Romans chapter 11? What about the passages in scripture where we read, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? How is it that we can possibly know in Scripture everything that God wills? What what about God's word? In Isaiah 59, some of you are thinking, where it says, For my thoughts, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways not my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Some of you might be wondering, how is it that we can know everything that God has to say. Well, here's the third thing to write down about God's will. While well, God does reveal everything in Scripture that is sufficient for your salvation, there are certain things in God's will that are hidden in His mind. Let me give you some examples. Was it God's will for me to wear a white shirt today or for me to wear a blue shirt today? answer? It may or may not have been God's will for me to wear a white shirt. Why? Because God's word doesn't say what his will was for Matt to wear today. Was it God's will for you to take this job or for you to go to this school? Or could it have been God's will for you to take that job or go to that other school? Which is it? And I hate to be unromantic, but may it have been God's will for you to marry Sally? Or could it have been God's will for you to marry Sue? I hate to break it to you, but scripture destroys the idea of soulmates because it could or it could not have been God's will for you to marry Sue or to marry Sally, There's a Christian author. His name's John Bennett. He was going through a time in his life where he was facing some major life decisions. He was wondering, should I go to school? Should I find a wife to marry? Or should I join a monastery? A pretty big decision. And so he went to an abbot at a monastery and he asked him, what's God's will for me in regards to these life decisions? What should I do? And the abbot at the monastery actually gave him some pretty sound advice. You know what he told him? God does not care what you do. What God does care about is that you seek him where he is found. You seek him in his word and you get to know his will there. And so here's the bottom line for our idea and our understanding about God's will. You can say nothing with certainty about the will of God apart from the revealed word of God. Does that make sense? Some of you might be saying, hey, a decision I made in life, this is the will of God. I'm not arguing that it could be in line with the will of God, that it could be according to the will of God, that what you are doing isn't contrary to the will of God. But to state emphatically that this is the will of God goes beyond Scripture. It's prideful. It's arrogant to say something is the will of God when God's Word doesn't say it. And so we go back to our big idea. You want to know the will of God? You want to live according to the will of God? Marry the Scriptures. There you will know what God's Word is for your life. So now let's take that. Let's take that, what we know about God's will, Let's apply it to prayer, shall we? Do your prayers have an effective difference on how God carries out his will in your life? What does the Bible say to that? The Bible says yes. Yes. The Bible tells me that my prayers have an effective difference on how God carries out his will in my life. And so I'm telling you, my friends, Pray. Pray to God. It seems ridiculous. It seems crazy that mere people can go before the immortal God and ask God to do this and God will do this. It seems ludicrous that God would listen to people beg him to do that and he would do that. But I'm telling you, this is what scripture says. Psalm 50, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. And his promise I will deliver you and you will honor me. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, ask and as guarantee and you will receive. It seems crazy that God would do this, that he would be affected and allow himself to be affected by the prayers of his people, but he has promised it to you in his word. Why do we pray? If for no other reason that God says pray to me, come before me, ask me, and I will give it to you. God has not only asked you to pray, in a sense, God has tied his hands to prayer. And so that if you do not pray, if you fail to pray to God, he looks at you and says, I am God. I have promised, I'm spoken, I am true to my word. I can't do this for you because I'm tied to prayer. But when you do pray, when you do pray, the hands, the almighty hands of God are loosed in such a way that he can give you what he wants to give you. Jesus's brother, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote a book of the Bible where he says this. In James chapter 5, he said, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and it is evil effective. The word of the God, our God tells us, you want to have me work my will according to your prayers? Pray, and I will do it. If you're in trouble? Pray. If you're sick? Pray. If you've sinned? Pray. So often Christians go, nah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. God's holy. God's perfect. God knows everything. And so why would I go before him in prayer and try to change his mind? Why would I try to alter the course of the events in my life? Here's a truth. God does know everything. From eternity, God saw exactly how all things would play out. Here's another truth. Here's another truth that doesn't cancel out that first truth. God invites you to pray. God tells you to pray and promises that your prayers are powerful, your prayers are effective. And not only that, God has so built into all in time and history room for your prayers that he begs you to pray, ties his hands to prayer, and he's asking you, please come to me, pray, because I am your Father who art in heaven. I am holy, and I am wanting to give you good and gracious blessings. It's a part of my will that I want to do this. So why not pray? Do you know why your prayer is powerful and effective? Here's a clue. It has nothing to do with you. How often you pray, how pretty your words are, how long you've prayed, or what you pray for. Your prayers are powerful and your prayers are effective because they are offered in faith. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God tells you your prayer is powerful. My hands will be untied when you pray to work and act on your behalf. But he adds one condition. It's prayed in faith. That it's prayed standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 says, "Ask." Jesus says, Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's not about just using Jesus' name like a magic genie and saying, oh, I'm gonna just tack in the name of Jesus on there and he's gonna give me all my wishes. No, it's about praying in Jesus' name and all that he stands for and all that Jesus is about. It's about praying according to the will and the word of God. John chapter 15, Jesus said this. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you remain in me, and in my words, it'll be done for you. Jesus is saying, to the extent that you know my words, I'm going to listen to your words. To the extent that you spend time in my word, learning about my will, and asking that my will line up with your will on earth, it's going to be done because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This goes back to our big idea for today, that if you want to know the will of God and you want to know the will of God carried out in your life, marry the scriptures. Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful from God's end. Why? Because he's promised that he's going to listen to them. He's promised that he's going to do them. Your prayers are powerful from your end. Why? Why? Because you're standing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, who is your savior. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All that knowledge brings up a rather personal question. God does answer my prayers. Why does it seem that at times he does not exercise his divine power and authority in my life when I ask for things that are done according to his will, I'm thinking about the seven-year-old Duncan who was a part of a Christian family, who was battling leukemia for over two years, who was a part of a Christian church who prayed for his healing, and yet he died. What happened to God's will there? What happens to what God's word said in James chapter 5 there? Why wasn't it done? I'm thinking about the father, the Christian father, who never missed a Sunday at church, who had a Christian wife and Christian children, and every day he prayed that God protect them and guide them. And then one time when he wasn't with them, a drunk driver hit their minivan, and in a day he lost all of them. What happened to God's will there? What happens to Romans chapter 8 where God said, I'm going to work out all things for those who love me? What happened to the Psalms which said, I'm going to send my angels to guard you in all those ways? What happened to your will then, God? What happens to the people you and I pray for? The people in our communities and in our neighborhoods who are far from Christ? What happens to the prayers that they know Christ, that they know the freedom that they have in Him, and yet they die? People die every day rejecting the grace of our God and they end up in hell. Why does God seem to not answer my prayers or exercise His authority even when I pray things according to His will? Now you're starting to understand why we pray this prayer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you're starting to understand why we must pray this prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will is always done in heaven. God's will is always always done. But here on this earth, sin reigns. Here on this earth, death reigns. Here on this earth, there are forces of evil called sin, death, the devil, our world, our sinful flesh, that do everything they can to try to stop God's will from happening. They do everything they can in this life to try to sabotage the will of God coming. And so there comes time where God looks at this world and lets the evil desires and the evil people in this world do their will instead of his will. And now the cynic in your head and the cynic among us might be stepping back and saying, oh, so God's not really that powerful, is he? He can't really do his will like he said. Don't be so obtuse. Because the reality is, God works in amazing ways. He has the authority, he has the power to work in any way he sees fit, whether it's through medical teams or divine intervention, to heal people. God can and most assuredly does stop the bullet from the murderer, whether it was standing it still in the air or placing an object in its path. I'm sure there's a good many things that our naive eyes don't see in this life that we'll see in heaven that God definitely intervened with his power on our behalf but that's typically not how God works. Why? Here's another big idea for today. And that God is not primarily concerned, in fact, he's not at all concerned with saving you for this life because he has already saved you for eternal life. God's will is this. That everyone who believes in Jesus experience eternal life. Do you remember what we read over and over again about what scripture says? It is God's will that you be brought through this life to eternal life with him in heaven. And we are convinced that there is nothing, neither death nor height, angels or demons, present or future, nor any powers in all creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Make no doubt about it. God is coming full force to see that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And his will is to make sure that you experience eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, there's going to be times where evil in this world is done. There was a man named Job, you know him, who in one day lost all his wealth, his health, and all 10 of his children. And yet he prayed what? Prayed, Your will be done. Naked I came from my mother's womb, he said, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And I'm telling you all this why. Because I can't tell you why the abusive relationship has happened in your life or is happening now. I can't tell you why the untimely death of the person you love occurred. I can't tell you why you are experiencing the things you are experiencing that might be troublesome, that might be hard, that you might hate. But what I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt is this. God's will is to bring you closer to him. God's will may be at times to allow these evils to take place in your life, to draw you closer to him, because the essence of God's will is this. It is to lead you through the pain, the sorrow, the shame, and the Things of this life, so that you might experience eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why He came to earth. That's why, on the very first Monday, Thursday, our Jesus said a prayer. He said a prayer that was far more intense, far more focused than any prayer we've ever prayed. On a hill called the Mount of Olives, Our God prayed to his Father who art in heaven, and he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. God's will was done. God's will was done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Because there's times in this earth where sin reigns, and yet that is why Christ came. It was to defeat sin, death, and the devil. And the sin that separates God, he brought the bridge back. And he brought us into community with God so that we might know and experience life in his fullest. That's why the angels sang, peace on earth, when Jesus showed up. Because he knew Jesus would experience pain on earth so that you might know only pleasure with him in heaven. And that is what we are asking for when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God take us through this life and all that there is in this life so that we might experience eternal life with him in heaven. That's what this prayer is about. I guess that leaves one more question to answer. Which one was it? Was it God's will from all eternity to save Luke and the prayers weren't necessary? Or did the prayer of thousands move God to heal Luke? Well, looking back on it, I can stand in this place and I can say, who cares? <laughs> who cares? I get to have my brother for this life. And more than that, I get to know that Jesus Christ has held both me and my brother in his hand throughout eternal life, and he's going to continue to do so. So who really cares? (laughs) But if you want to write something down, here's the answer. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the answer to that question is. Maybe someday, no, for sure someday, we're going to be in heaven with our God, but maybe we'll ask him. Maybe we'll ask him, which was it? Did you heal? because of the prayers, or was it your will to always, always heal Luke, and the prayers weren't necessary? And I'm not so prideful that I'm going to presume to know the mind of God, but I'm willing to bet there's two ways he can answer that question. One, he's going to say, Matt, it was my will to bring Luke home to heaven with me, to have him die in that baseball accident. But I was so moved by the prayers of my children. They were such a sweet incense rising before me that I healed Luke. Or he's gonna say, Matt, (laughs) from before time began, it was my plan to heal Luke. But those prayers that rise before my throne, those people that stormed the throne of God's grace, I was so moved by them. I loved them. And in either case, you know what we can respond? Your will be done. Amen. Would you please stand up? Let's pray to our God. Lord God, we come before you and we ask that you make this the prayer, the theme, and the anthem of our life. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, we pray that today and always you align our will with your will, that you do so by having us bonded ever closely through you, to you, through the words of God. Lord, we pray that in life your will might always be done. And Lord, when we ask prayers and petitions that seem to affect our life, let us do so boldly and confidently, knowing you hear us because you've told us and promised that you hear us. And let us pray expecting and knowing that you hear us and always resting on the fact that no matter the outcome, your will is done. For this we praise you and thank you. Amen.